Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This morning we are continuing our Ephesian studies and, uh, and we're doing an Easter message all at the same time, all combined into one. So uh, that's our plan this morning. We'll be covering, in one sense, the grand total of a single verse, but as always, we'll be jumping around elsewhere. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll study. Father, I pray that as we, as we come this Easter morning to your word again, that you would bless this time, that you would... Speak to each one of our hearts where we're at. You know each of us intimately. You know our struggles. You know our difficulties. You know our strengths and our weaknesses. And I pray that for each one of us, there may be something in your word today that would speak to us where we are and deal with our lives and minister to us and comfort us or encourage us or maybe rebuke us, but that your word would leave us changed today, that we'd be different from when we came in. We ask that you would do this by the power of your spirit through your word today. Amen. Okay, Ephesians 1. The, the section that we are about to embark upon is one of the most glorious passages in the whole of Scripture. For me, I think it's right up there with uh, John's prologue. John 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, the prologue, is just that deep, rich, theological um, passage that really is without peer. And, and this is right alongside it. This is one of the most important passages in the whole of the Bible. So we aren't going to be rushing it. We're going to be taking our time. Uh, my, my wife so ably read through the, the first 14 verses, uh, sorry, through to verse 14 this morning. And this is the section that we're going to be focusing on. We're going to kick off with the first verse, but we'll look at how the whole structure holds together. It starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now this is what is known as a baraka. Uh, it, is a, it is a blessing, a, a eulogy, if you like, of praise to God. And if you want to turn with me to First Chronicles and 29... 
because you know that's just a good Easter passage. These um, barakas are in the Old Testament very, very commonly. Uh, they are a very Jewish way of doing things. We will, um, while you're turning there, I'm just going to read to you Psalm 72 and verse 18, which says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. You see, blessing God in this sense is a very Jewish way of saying, let's praise God specifically for who he is and what he has done. And the structure of these barakas are, sorry, I think they're called barakoth in the plural. I'll get it right one day. But the structure of them is that um, there is this blessed be God, and then it says who has done this or who has done that and goes on to explain why it is that God should receive praise. And here in 1 Chronicles 29, we have a, a very, very good example of it. In verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. So this is what it means to bless the Lord. This is what he's about to do is blessing the Lord. He says... Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Isn't that good? I could read that again, actually. That was kind of, that was rocking, as they say. Um, it is, you know... Because God has all the greatness, all the power, all the glory. He has victory in every situation. He has majesty. Because everything, whether it's on earth or in heaven, belongs to him. And thus the victory is assured. Thus he has majesty. Both riches, um, sorry. Um, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So in other words... The power to give us anything, the power to, to make great, to give strength, all of this power rests with God. Because everything here on earth where we want to see the things we're praying for, and everything in heaven where things are accomplished, everything is His. And this is a very good example of this type of blessing to God that litters the Old Testament. It not just litters the Old Testament, but Jewish writings of that era and subsequently. And even today, there are a list of 18 of these blessings. I think it's 18 of them that Jews are, uh, many Jews will pray every single day. And it is, I think, very important that as we now come into Ephesians, that we understand that praising God for who he is and what he has done is at the beginning of understanding what Christianity is and what the Christian life looks like. We are to begin with an understanding of what God has done and praise him for it. And this is so important that we begin here, that we understand this, and that we understand what he's done. So flip back to Ephesians, and you'll see here some of these parallels. Blessed be the God, we had that in, in 1 Chronicles, and Father, that was mentioned in 1 Chronicles as well. But here, Paul has put a, a Christian spin on the traditional Jewish Baraka. He said, blessed be the God and Father, not the Father of Israel, not our Father, but the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And absolutely central to this blessing is the role of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. He has blessed us 
Um, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, there's a second reference to Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's our other very, very important link to the First Chronicles passage, in that there God is sovereign over all of the earth and all of heaven. And here, the blessings that are given are in the heavenly places. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now this statement is a summary statement that God has blessed us with every blessing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But then he goes on in verses 4 through 14 to tell us what these blessings are. Now we'll go through this very slowly over the coming weeks. But just to get a, a glimpse of it now, notice that it's blessed be the God and Father. So this is a blessing to the Father. And it says in verse 4, even as he, that being the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he, that's the Father again, predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And so the first section is a blessing to the Father for what the Father decided to do. Then, in verse 7, it says, In Him, and here the Him refers to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. So in verse 7, the Him is Jesus Christ. And in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that word. I love that passage. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And so 7 through 11, the blessing is what Christ has accomplished. So the Father chooses us and predestines us and he adopts us as, as sons through Christ. Because he can do that because Christ has then made that possible through the redemption that comes through his blood. And then... When we come through in verse 11, it continues in Christ. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And so there is an inheritance that comes through what Christ has accomplished. And then in verses 13 and 14, that inheritance in brief, is the Holy Spirit. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this praise, this blessing, is broken down into what the Father decided, what the Son accomplished, and what the Spirit has made a reality. It is a traditional Jewish blessing that has been made Trinitarian. Father, Son, and Spirit. And look how in each of the sections, when you come to the end of a section on the Father, in verse 6, it says, to the praise of His glorious grace. Then when you come to the end of a section on the Son, in verse 12, it says, to the praise of His glory. And the end of the section on the Spirit, again, to the praise of his glory. Now, we'll talk about this more in detail, but it is astonishing to me that in the whole of this section, which, by the way, is 202 words in the Greek, and it is a single sentence. It's like the Apostle Paul gets really excited and doesn't want to take a breath. And he does take a breath in verse 14, and then 15 through to the end of the chapter, that's one sentence as well. And you have all of that section, and then all the way through to chapter 2 and verse 8, and we are barely mentioned in regard to anything that we have done. This blessing is not about us. It's about him. 
Sometimes Christianity, wanting to be applicable, wanting to be associable, that's not even a word, is it? Something that we can associate with. We, we like to make Christianity all about us. Why did God choose us? Was it because we're so darn lovely? No, it was for the praise of his glory. Why did Christ die on the cross for our sins? Was it love for us? Sure it was love for us, but he did it for the praise of his glory. And the spirit was given to us. Why? For the praise of his glory. We're supposed to look at this passage of scripture and go, Oh my God. Literally, oh my God. God, this is you. You've done this. Before the foundation of time, you had it planned. Through the glorious cross, you did it. And it's a reality to me today through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have done this. And honest, honestly, I think that we have far too many problems in Christianity because we're far too practical. We want to give people five steps to this and seven points for that and how to fix this and how to change that. And we have all these different topical sermons. And you know what? We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to do that in time. But what we're supposed to do first is just look at God and look at what he's done for us and go, wow. Because the problem is is that when you do a sermon, when a sermon is preached saying, here's five steps to fixing that, and here's your, your seven ways to change this, it doesn't change anyone, and it doesn't fix anything if you don't want to change, and if you don't want to be fixed. But when you look at what God has done for us, when you look at the price he's paid, and you go, my Lord, thank you, Blessed be the God who has given us every blessing. Then you're in a position where you want to change. And I believe you start to change without even being told what the five steps are. Because it's, it's about us connecting with God through the truth of what he has accomplished. And Easter is all about what was accomplished on the cross when Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. He cried out and said, it is finished. And what, it was accomplished. His work of redemption was accomplished on the cross. And as Swindoll famously says, it is as if the resurrection is the Father's amen to Christ, it is finished. Christ said he'd accomplished it, and then the resurrection proved that he had. And with that death and burial and resurrection, there was accomplished so much more than we realize. And these blessings that we're going to be going through over probably a few months are the things that have been accomplished through that first Easter. So verse 3 is this summary statement that we've been blessed with all these blessings. And he's going to go on in these coming verses to give us all of this detail of what the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has done to bless us. So what more do we see here in this summary statement? Well, firstly, the blessing is to God the Father, but he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is going to be utterly central to this, as we will see. And there are three things about the blessing that God's given us. First of all, one little thing to know, which I think is kind of cool. Notice here, I've underlined it in my Bible with a different color ink. Blessed be the God, so that we are praising God, but the term is blessed. And then it says, who has blessed us. So we're blessing God. We're praising him because he has blessed and given to us every spiritual blessing. And in Greek, as in English, it's the same, what we call cognates, but related words. Blessed, blessed, and blessing. Three times. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Three times. Father, Son, and Spirit. This is a, a Trinitarian structure. So God has blessed us. And this blessing, in, in the first summary verse, we're told three things about this blessing. The blessing is, one, in Christ... Two, the blessing is with every spiritual blessing. 
And three, it is in heavenly places, in the heavenly places. So we'll look at those three things uh, for the remainder of our time. Firstly, these blessings are in Christ. Now, I could talk for a long time about what that means. It is a phrase that we will come across again and again and again, over 30 times in the book of Ephesians. We have in him, in Christ, in whom. In fact, funnily enough, if you look in verse 7, most English Bibles give you a full stop at the end of verse 6 so that you can get a breath. It would have been funny to have got Jenny to read it this morning with, uh, without a single breath. One sentence, go. <sighs> but in, in the Greek, in verse 7, that in him is literally in whom. It just continues on. So in, in the beloved, in whom we have redemption. So we have in Christ here in verse 6, in the beloved, in verse 7, in whom, and in him, and it goes on and on and on. There is this phrase, this expression, in Christ, that we will unpack more thoroughly as we go through the book of Ephesians. But what we need to understand now is this is that as Christians, the blessings that we have been given are due to our close association with Christ. Okay? To summarize it really succinctly, and we should, we'll explain this more as we go through the weeks. But when Christ died, he said before he died to the disciples, it's better that I go, because when I go, I'm sending another. Now, most Christians, let's be frank, think he was lying. Most Christians say, I would love to be with Christ. Wouldn't it have been great to hang out with the disciples and to be there with Jesus in the flesh? Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, if, if you say to Christians, if you could go back in time to any point in history, oh, I'd love to go and see Jesus. I'd love to go and walk with Jesus. You're calling Jesus a liar. He said it's better for you that I go why because then you'll have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ and God himself now as Christians indwells us so that Christ is constantly with us through his Holy Spirit so these blessings come because we are in Christ and Christ is in us through his Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we're in him so that we are almost contained within him. That God sees him when he sees us. And he is in us so that we are temples of the Holy Spirit because Christ dwells us through his Holy Spirit. There is this astonishingly close association between the Christian and Christ that works through the new, the new covenant and the giving of the Holy Spirit. But we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. But for now, I want us to know two things about this expression in Christ. Firstly, the blessings that come, come to us through this connection with Christ. Okay, that's going to become relevant when we come to the next phrase. But for now, I want us to know that the blessings come through our connection with Christ. They don't come because we do this or we do that. They don't come by us being in a certain place or going somewhere or, or saying the right prayer or, or something like that. It comes because we are in Christ. That's the basis for these blessings. That's the basis for these blessings. And the second point on this, by implication, is simply that you do not have these blessings unless you are in Christ. And, and that, is, that is so important. Because, you know, there are those who are associated with Christianity and are familiar with the Easter story. They're familiar with Christ dying on the cross and him uh, being buried and resurrected. They're familiar with, with all of that. And they're so familiar with some of these Christian things. And therefore, they make a mistake. And the mistake they make is to think that these things that are being spoken of often in the Bible apply to them. Association is through us being in Christ, not us being in church. 
Okay? Not being in a Christian home. The association is being in Christ. It is through us being unshakably, permanently connected to Christ as we're going to see, and, no, and we're not going to see it, right the way through until chapter 2. But it happens through faith. And it doesn't come until chapter 2 because we're just glorying in what God has done for us that we thoroughly don't deserve. But it comes about, we will finally find out, through our faith in Christ. The Christ dying on the cross, he died in, as a punishment in our place being punished for our sins. And the resurrection from the dead proved that he had power over death and power over sin. And that his death was adequate. If he died and stayed dead, then every promise he'd made and every, every accomplishment he'd claimed would have meant nothing. But he proved that it was finished by being raised from the dead. And us placing our trust in him, in his death and burial and resurrection, us trusting in that, us making that at the center of our lives, of our universes, right there, us embracing that is the thing that will ultimately put us in Christ. Not that we put ourselves in Christ, but that in doing that, God is putting us in Christ. We are being associated with him. That's why Christians get baptized. That is us sharing in his death. And the coming up from the water, because baptism is always best if you let people come up again afterwards. But us coming up afterwards is us sharing in his resurrection. And we are associating with that death and resurrection in that the old us have died and there is a new us. The, the, the physical thing that was accomplished with Christ is accomplished in us spiritually. And these blessings are for that new person. They're not for old people that hang out in churches. And I don't mean old as in age. I mean old as in formal ways. These are blessings that are there for Christians. They're blessings that come to us not because we're good, not because we're special, and certainly not because we're lovable. They're blessings that come to us because God planned it, Christ enabled it, and the Spirit made it a reality. That's why. And it's a mystery. It's a really big mystery because why would God plan it? Why would Christ do it? And why would the Spirit make it a reality in my life? Why? For His glory. It's not so that I can feel good about myself. It's not just that I can be blessed, though I am greatly blessed. It's so that when we look at what God has done, we go, wow, what a God we serve. So, the blessings that we're going to see are the blessings that come to us because we are in Christ. They don't come to those outside of Christ, they come to those in Christ. Those are the, the blessings that we're going to talk about. I'm just going to skip the middle one for a minute and go to the last one. They are blessings in the heavenly places. Now, this is a bizarre phrase, it's hard to understand, there's been a lot of ink spilled over it, as they say. And when we come to chapter 2, verse 6, we'll explain it in a lot more detail. Simply suffice to say that the expression in the heavens, in the Old Testament, meant pretty much anything upward. <laughs> pretty much anything. What we would talk about as today as the sky, in Old Testament times, could be in the heavens. What we talk about today as space, we could be talked about as in the heaven in the heavens and what we talk about as heaven could be in the heavens and it wasn't a geographical thing that they got wrong it was that the earth is a place but God is beyond that it is conceptually he is beyond the sky beyond space and so in modern terms he's beyond the ends of the universe that God made it all, holds it all together, and he's not even part of it. He's outside of it. 
And so from, for our context here, the blessings that we have are, are blessings in heavenly places. It's as if, it's as if the blessings that we've been given are our blessings, but they're not here with us, although we're going to see in a sense they are, they're in heaven. Okay? They're in heaven. And this, is, this really deals with the, the crux of this now and not yet thing in Christianity. Imagine that you own, imagine that you're an Olympic champion. For some, some people that might be harder than others, but imagine you're an Olympic champion and whatever, maybe they'll invent some new event for us, but there's a, you're an Olympic champion and you have an Olympic gold medal, your prized possession. Now, you probably, although some people do, I'm told, won't keep it in your sock drawer. Some people are, are, it was very interesting, I listened to a radio show once talking about what gold medalists do with their gold medals, and somebody literally had them stuffed in his sock drawer which was probably not a good thing to say on the radio, but there you go. Um, other people would have it displayed in the home, but several of them would just, it was too precious, irreplaceable, and they didn't want it to be in the home where it could be robbed. And they had it stored in a bank vault. And it's as if our blessings that we've been given are so precious, they're away in the vault. They're ours, we still, we still have, just as the Olympic champion is still an Olympic champion, the, 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 the medal is in a vault, the blessings are in the heavenlies. That doesn't mean they don't affect us. It doesn't mean we don't have access to them. It's best explained, and we'll deal with this when we come there, but it's best explained in verses 13 and 14, where it talks about the Holy Spirit... We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, then verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In other words, we've been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the mediator of these blessings to us. And he is a deposit and a guarantee that one day all those things stored away in the bank vault are going to be ours. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead on that first resurrection day, he did something that he promises we will also do. Now, I haven't been resurrected yet. And when I die, in all likelihood, there'll probably be a period of time until I am. Many of us have loved ones who died in Christ. And they have not yet been resurrected. But Christ's resurrection was the guarantee that one day they will. And the Holy Spirit was the deposit, the down payment guaranteeing that that will come. So these blessings that we're given are given in the heavenly places. There are heavenly blessings that are ours in Christ, some of which we see working through the indwelling of the Spirit now, and some of which will be ultimately realized in the final day. And here's the crucial bit. The blessings that we've been given, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Okay? So... There are two modifiers even in this modifier. This is how Paul writes. It's very detailed. The first thing is that these blessings are spiritual blessings. I want to read to you briefly, and you may want to turn there, you don't have to, Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, God says this to the Jews. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed you shall you be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle. The increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, 
and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord himself will establish you as a sorry the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk on his ways and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you shall be called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity and in the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And it goes on and it goes on. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Too many Christians today live as if that was still true for them. You obey me and I'm going to bless you. And what do those blessings look like? Oh, you're going you're to be blessed with children. You're going to be blessed with, with a good income. You're going to be blessed with, with prosperity. You're going to just have this wonderful, wonderful time. You can, all you've got to do is obey God. And guys, some of the biggest, if not most of the biggest churches in this country and around the world are churches that teach that heresy. Because that's what it is. That is old covenant and the old covenant believers longed, they longed for the day that we live in now. David, as we saw those who were here last week in the evening in Psalm 51, he prayed that his sin wouldn't mean God taking away the blessing of his Holy Spirit. And he prayed that the day would come when the Spirit wouldn't be removed. And then Jeremiah prophesied that that day would come when it just wouldn't be a mopping up job. But God would give us a new heart that he would put his Spirit in us. And now, under the new covenant, we live in Christ with that blessing. Though he has given us his spirit and we are in him and he is in us. And so there are two monumentally huge changes from Deuteronomy 28 to Ephesians 1. Change number one. Ephesians begins with God has blessed you. Blessed be God for blessing you. He's blessed you already. Deuteronomy started with, if you obey, then I will bless you. Christianity in the new covenant is completely different from that old covenant promise. In the old covenant, you obeyed and then you got blessing. In the new covenant, we have been blessed, Ephesians 1 through 3, so we will obey Ephesians 4 through 6. That's it. It's totally different. And the other huge change is this. Is that the, every blessing I just read to you from Deuteronomy was a physical blessing. You'll be blessed with this. You'll be blessed with that. You know, lots of children, big incomes, prosperity, everything going well. You get the land. Everyone's going to fear you. Everyone's going to run away from you. You're just going to rock. You're just going to be the top, top people. Everyone's fearful of you. Everyone thinks you're great. You're on a pedestal. Yay you. But the blessings that we have in Ephesians is every spiritual blessing. You can become a Christian... And it can revolutionize your life. You could become super happy, super wealthy and have a wonderful time. But it's highly unlikely. When somebody says, oh, you're having a hard time, you've got a rough marriage, come to Jesus and Jesus will make it all better. That is a false gospel. And people responding to false gospels don't become in Christ and don't get saved. I famously remember... Not famously for you, but famously for us who were there. But we were attending a church plant probably 20 years almost ago. And there was a guy who was the caretaker of the school. 
And we were hiring the building and this guy was the caretaker and he opened up for us every week and he opened up and he left and he came back and he locked up. And then he'd chat for a bit and then he hung around for a bit and he started listening. But he doesn't like those Christians, but he listened a little bit and then he hung around a bit more and then he started socialising. And finally, after over a year, he became a Christian. Ultimately led to his divorce. His wife would not accept the new man. Didn't want to know about his faith. Maybe you'll become a Christian and suddenly your problems will boom, disappear. I know people who say, I became a Christian and the moment I became a Christian, I never had the desire to do whatever again, whatever addiction or bad behaviour it was they were indulging in. Well, that's lovely for you. I can point you to a hundred other Christians who the second they believed in Christ, it made no difference at all and they struggled for the rest of their lives. I can tell you Christians who became Christians and became sick and died. And the prosperity gospel is not just not good. It's not just not what we're about. It is an aberration. It is a heresy from the bowels of hell. And it destroys people and destroys their lives. It promises them something that God doesn't promise them. And do you know what? I'm going to read to you another Baraka, this time from the New Testament. And I don't even want you to turn there because I want you to listen as I read it. Because it is a very New Testamenty one. In the second Corinthians, Paul says this as he opens his book to the... I was going to say his second letter, but actually we know there was one in between that we haven't got. So it was probably his third letter to the Corinthians. But anyway, what we call 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Familiar? Same as we have in Ephesians. The Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. Who comforts us in our affliction... So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's no prosperity gospel there, folks. That is people being told... You have been so blessed by God that as people persecute you and as your life is troublesome and as you have difficulties, Christ is going to comfort you because he had a life of difficulty as well. And as you are comforted by Christ, then you have the ability to comfort other people as a church family. You see, there isn't the promise of a wonderful life with the blessings of God in the new covenant. Now you think, well, that sucks. I wanted that nice car and that second home and I wanted to have that raise and I wanted that sickness to go and I wanted this problem to be resolved. I like the idea of prosperity. Guys, if you say that, it's because your mind, our minds, are on the earth and not in the heavenlies where the blessings are. My goal is to convince you over the coming weeks and convince myself that the spiritual blessings that we have been given are vastly superior to the prosperity blessings of the old covenant. What God has given us that we didn't earn, that we didn't obey for, that we were just given so that he could be glorified is something that he should be glorified for because they're so good. Now, final word. Every. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. If the prosperity gospel is a false gospel that takes people astray, then within the true gospel, there are those who distract people from the true Christian life by basically making Christians into treasure hunters. Too many Christians are treasure hunters. Let me explain what I mean. You want to hunt treasures, that's fine. Go look in your Bible, there's a whole bunch of treasures. We, we unpack treasure chests for you every Sunday, hopefully. Lots of treasures there. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is, 
Christians who go around saying, well, I can see you're struggling with this or that, or that things aren't quite right for you. What you need is X. And it doesn't matter what X is. Sometimes it's um, some spiritual experience. Sometimes it's even worse, and it's going to a particular location for a spiritual experience. Sometimes it's saying some sort of prayer as if it's a magic abracadabra. I've told you before, there are no abracadabras in the Bible. Listen, we need to take this really seriously. If God has blessed us in the heavenlies, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing, how many spiritual blessings does that leave for us to get? Nil. Zero. Nada. Nothing. Just absolutely nothing at all. And yet, there are entire denominations that are built around the concept of we have this and you don't have it. And yes, I'm talking about Pentecostalism mostly there. The whole concept of, well, we all have the Spirit indwelling us, but we have the Spirit in this way and you don't have them in this way. There's us and the only us and them are in the Bible are those who are in Christ and those who aren't in Christ. Paul is going to tell us in Ephesians 4, by the way, Ephesians is the most unifying book of the Bible. He tells us very clearly that we are all one body because we all have one Spirit. And yet, ironically, nothing has divided the Christian church in the last century more than the concept of people saying, I have the Spirit and you don't. And that is wrong. Plain, total wrong. And we need to understand that we are not waiting for someone to lay hands on us, say a prayer, and for us to have some special experience, and then somehow we're going to go from regular Christian to super Christian. Guys, listen to this really carefully. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you today, alright? Everything you need, you already have. Everything you need to live a holy life, everything you need to fulfill God's purposes for your life, everything you need, you already have. The idea that you need a spiritual experience, or you're waiting to find the right person, or that you're waiting for some circumstance to change, and then, no, 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 no. He has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Now, that then makes, may, may ask you, uh, may raise the question for you, why does my life suck so much then? Why am I so bad at this Christianity business? Well, the problem is one that we're going to unpack as we unpack Ephesians. But succinctly stated, the problem is not that you need to get something that you all, um, need to get something you don't yet have. Put it this way: Let's say your job was to tend a garden. You're going to be a gardener, right? Okay. You could not do the work unless you had the right tools. I mean, if someone gave you a pair of scissors rather than a lawnmower, cutting the lawn is going to take a while. So you want to have the right tools for the job, right? But if you've got all the tools and you still do a lousy job, then it isn't that you can't go to your boss and say, you know what, I know I chopped that tree in half when I was only supposed to prune it, but what I really need is a different tool. You say, no, 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 your tool's fine for pruning. The problem is you just, you use the chainsaw, not the pruning tool. You know, you, you, you're able to, you've got the tools for this job, you just don't have the knowledge on how to do it. And so what we're going to do as we go through Ephesians, is we're going to look at what God has done for us, and that will equip us to use the tools that he's already given us, to do the job that he has called us to do. And I just want us to grasp this important truth this morning. That we aren't looking for some experience. We aren't looking for some event. We aren't looking for some life change so that we can then do a good job. 
God has already given us the blessings where we are. If you're single, then in your singleness. If you're married, then in your marriage. If you're here in Burbank, then here in Burbank. If you're somewhere else, then somewhere else. But the blessings that you need, the things you require from God, He has given you. Don't wait. Serve Him now. Every spiritual blessing. And what is so amazing to me is that this blessing, this giving of these blessings to us, that we might right now live in the fullness of life that is awaiting us, that that whole thing was planned before the earth was even created. But that's next week's sermon. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to praise you this morning. And we want to praise you next week and the week after and the week after as we go through these amazing blessings that you have blessed us with. And Lord, we recognize and we acknowledge today that you've blessed us in Christ, because of that association with Him, in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm, You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Lord, there are those in the church today who go around seeking all these different experiences and moments that will change their life, Lord, not understanding that the change that was needed has already happened. That by giving us Your Spirit, by Christ dwelling in us through him, that we have everything that we need. And we thank you that we are one, that everyone here who is in Christ has that Holy Spirit and has him in his fullness, that there are no super Christians in this building. There are only broken people indwelt by God himself. And it glorifies you to take people like us, to give us your spirit, and to use us. Lord, we pray that whatever you have planned for this church, that you would glorify yourself in our midst. Amen.